When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. England emerged victorious from the Lionesses derby, but at what cost to the good reputation of women's football after Cameroon turned up the aggression and petulance to levels rarely seen outside of the bouncy castle and eight-year-old's birthday party? We'll give our verdict on the performance of Phil Neville's team, wonder about his comments after the game, and look ahead to a tricky quarterfinal tie against Norway, or, to give it its official name, Aha Nation. Plenty more to discuss from France, including the host's narrow win over Brazil, Marta winning hearts and minds but not football matches, and Germany coming into form. Plus, Scottish misery, XG calculations, and the inevitable discussion about VAR. Let's take you now into the audio recording facility where I'm joined by the offside rule hero. It's Kate Borsay. How are you, Kate? I love the hero tag. Thanks. Well, you've earned it. It's been an intense like World Cup for you so it far. It has. Um, I did actually miss one game. Oh, my I goodness. I confess. Sorry, Which one guys. was it? Um, it was <laughs> It was the Norway game. Oh. Um, because I was at a 40th birthday. But I did watch a bit of it in the taxi on the way. Good. Do I still earn my points? I think you're just about allowed to keep your place on the podcast. And I have Kate. caught up with it. Good. Glad to hear it. Great. Alongside her, it's the Telegraph Sports' own tactical mastermind, JJ Ball. What's happening, JJ? I saw the Eagles yesterday. Yes. My favourite band. Your favourite band? <laughs> yeah, I love the Eagles. They were really great. I'm I loved sh- it so much. I'm sure. What, um, what did that mean for your weekend of football watching? It meant that I didn't see the England game live, <gasps> but I have watched it what? because of um, the wonderful technology that exists on the internet. Don Henley didn't put on the game on the big screens at Wembley during the show. No, they had backdrops for things at Hotel California instead. Yeah, they could have had it. Curious decision by the Eagles. Not their first and it won't be their last. Finally, completing the lineup. It's my Telegraph colleague, Hadra Rahim. How are you, Hadra? Good, thank you. It's probably been the most nail-biting week, I think, of football so far. I've, like, I've had so many mixed emotions this week. I've been angry, I've been sad, I've been excited, I've been happy. I'm almost, I'm a little bit exhausted, to be honest, but still more to come and I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely, we'll pull it together, Hadra, because we're going to get into all of those emotions, starting with England's win against Cameroon. 3-0 victory in their round of 16 game, but that only really tells a fraction of the story. Let's just start with the football side of things before we get into oh, the, well done, the rest Tom. of it. Oh, thanks, mate. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what did you make of England's performance, Kate? 
Um, I thought they were composed under the extraordinary scenes um, during the game and full credit to them for that. I thought we were defensively a little bit sloppy. We have these 15-minute periods where we just lose it a bit, don't we? And that's when teams, better teams than we've faced so far, will really take advantage. Um, Question marks about Karen Bardsley as well. I thought she made some good saves into the second half and they were crucial, really, in terms of keeping our bit of the game together. But um, she looked a little bit rattled towards the end of the game, so that maybe needs to be looked at. Um, but under the circumstances, I thought we held it together well. But this was a test in a different way. And I would suggest, actually, that England's biggest test now is how they handle that game. Can they just put it to one side and not worry about it and concentrate on Norway? Or will that have thrown them a little? I really hope it hasn't thrown them. But I'd suggest that the biggest test is probably right now after the game. Right. I know you can't always tell the full story from just watching it, especially just watching it on TV. But they did look... Like, they really kept their temper. Like, at the end of the game, there, there wasn't even much outrage over that horrible tackle right at the end from the England players. No, and actually, Steph was meant to do... Steph Horton, who um, who was basically sort of stamped on by um, a Cameroon player, was meant to do the post-match press conference afterwards, and Phil excused her, Phil Neville, and said that she was in pain and she was wanting to get treatment. Um, but afterwards, they spoke to Alex Greenwood, and, and she just said, look, you know... It's all about the football for us. I'm not going to comment on them. For us, it was just about winning the game and concentrating on the next one. And that is the line that they will trot out. I think that's fair enough from Alex Greenwood and Steph Horton. But I guess some of the younger players you'd need to look at because they will have never seen anything like this. And actually, some of our older players, I've never seen anything like it before. But I guess digesting it and looking at the emotion and maybe seeing pictures or replays of those Cameroon players in tears, you know, really, it, 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 it was like watching kind of sort of a 10-year-old's game when, you know, someone is on the end of a bad tackle or someone feels that someone pushed them. I mean, I mean it, was, it was total sobs, it really was. It was odd behaviour. Phil Neville not really singing from that same hymn sheet of only talking about the football. <laughs> he was absolutely incensed afterwards, Hadra. Was he right to be so critical of how Cameroon approached the game and, and their behaviour? The thing that really seemed to wind him up was the, you know, the little strikes they went on after the second goal, uh, especially. Absolutely. I think exactly how he said it was shameful behaviour. As you said, Kate, it was like watching a children's match. I just couldn't, I couldn't. What really upset me is I saw Cameroon's last match. I watched it and I got really excited about them. They were so determined. They were just attack, attack, attack. Some of the goals that they scored were absolutely amazing. So I got really excited for this game thinking this could really be interesting. It was just absolutely shameful. How, at what point? And also what annoyed me the most was the fact that their coach was like riling them, like riling them up as well. He wasn't stopping their behaviour. He just kind of sat back and let them do it. I just don't understand how what they thought they were going to achieve by behaving this way. I mean, spitting on a football pitch is just unacceptable at a a player. I mean, whether or not it was deliberate, I don't know. I I mean, I, I have to say that that was the one incident where I didn't think it was deliberate. Just just watching it back, the player was behind Duggan. And sort of Duggan was was walking past, and I love the way that the BBC pixelated it. By the way, I never knew you could pixelate it. <laughs> Amazing, uh, lovely. Um, I I don't think that the Cameroon player intended to do that, but everything else, whether it was the mm. elbow to the jaw of Nikita Paris, I mean that 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 could have taken a socket that out. That was but, mad, yeah. and not to, for it not to go to VAR was such a strange decision. Though. There were loads of strange decisions, and you mentioned the manager. Actually, Phil mm. Neville said afterwards the team mirrored the manager. This is um, Juempha, the um, Cameroon manager. If I was their manager, said Phil Neville, they would never play for me 
again. I could see him calming them down at various points. And Ongane, who's their captain and one of their key players, was also, she was trying to rally them together, but she was trying to calm them down. And Chu, who was the player who had the goal disallowed just into the second half, she lost it. She absolutely lost it. And she was having to be pinned back by her manager and by her teammates. And it, it just disintegrated into, you know, pure playground theatrics. The way in which the their behaviour towards the ref as well, unacceptable. Yes. That is unacceptable. And I understand, uh, you know, Phil Neville made the point afterwards, you know, you know, I think she made a good decision based on the fact that, you know, she didn't want it to um, descend into anarchy. But at the same time... What happened to Steph was completely unacceptable. And and actually, arguably, that ref, at the moment, at the end of the first half, when Ellen White's goal went to VAR for offside, but it was allowed, at that point, when the Cameroon players went into the centre circle and were basically like, we're not moving. She should have got the cards out. She should have taken action then. There, and, and I don't know what was said at halftime. In fact, I do know what the Cameroon manager said at halftime. I've got, a, got, I've got a little note of it here somewhere. I'm not sure if... <laughs> have I got it? Maybe not. But he basically said that the referee was on England's side. And, he, and that's apparently what the manager told his players at halftime. Now, hello... That's inciting, right? That that that's just wrong. You don't tell your players that. Mm. Um, look, he should have calmed that situation down. The ref should have nullified that that situation. I don't think the ref did herself any favors. What did you think of the refereeing, JJ? Did did the referee handle Cameroon poorly and handle that behavior the right way? She had no control of the game whatsoever. She lost all authority. Um, when the players started doing that that thing after the second goal, where they were huddling around, like it's the same in the center circle. Yeah, yeah. that. Um, I, that referee had lost the entire match. He lost control of the stadium. Even you had people just going nuts in the stands because you don't show any authority. She should have been booking them straight away. You can't just hold off. They should have just—I don't know. She should have dragged one and made them kick it, and then let England just go off and score or something. It was a—I've uh, never seen um, such kind of weird juvenile behaviour from a group of professional adults. <laughs> um, they aren't professionals. Now, this doesn't excuse their True. their behaviour, but they aren't professionals. And I thought Hope Hope Solo had some interesting comments um, after the game as well. Look, saying you know, basically they don't have the same resources as England, and they don't have the experience. Perhaps they weren't even told about the rules. She said the laws of the game and the evolution of the game, because actually with the back pass, with the um, indirect free kit that was awarded to England and was the result of England's um, and uh, from which England's first goal resulted from Steph Horton, the captain they, they they actually looked like they didn't get it because they were looking up at the screens and pointing at the screens as if a back pass wasn't going to award an indirect free kick to England there were a couple of instances where they were just like you know come but, on this but, is ridiculous. Yeah. But they also were looking at the screen pointing out that, um, that White's goal was onside well, they were pointing to say look she's offside when it shows that she was on so I don't understand what it is, what reality it is they yeah, are seeing at the I time. I think it's quite difficult seeing that on TV. We don't know what they were seeing on the screen. Well, uh, yeah. I do think you get a full thrill at sometimes. But he has certainly very odd behaviour. I did wonder if anyone else felt Phil Neville was being a little bit pious afterwards with what he was saying about we need to hold ourselves to better standards. The whole world is watching us. And this yeah, is I thought I don't, so. I don't agree with the, the, the violence we saw from the Cameroon team. I don't agree with the petulance. I do think they're entitled to play the game with aggression. It definitely went too far on this occasion. But Phil Neville almost seemed to be saying, you know, we, this isn't football. And like... I, I, it absolutely is. Like, remember Wimbledon and all those sort of teams back in the day? Like, 
um, Cameroon went out just with full of energy and aggression to go in to get at them, and you saw that England didn't like it. So like their pass accuracy was down in other games because they would get people rushing into them every single time they got the ball. They don't like it. So if you get at them, they don't like it. And uh, that's exactly what Cameroon did. But they got undone by these decisions. Their heads went and they sort of blew it off. And I don't think... I, I don't know. Some of the stuff Phil Neville was saying is kind of... It's, I don't know what's quite off with it, but it seemed a little... The thing where he's like... patronising um, almost? I yeah, when know. he says, um, you know, my daughter wants to be football and if she watches this, she'll think, no, I want to play netball. This is football. It happens in men's... I'm not saying it's the best of football, but it does happen. You see aggression. Mm. And I'm not saying that it's acceptable, but they have to see these things to understand how it, how it can be on the pitch sometimes. I think it was a whole catalogue of things. And actually, I think Phil Neville can be accused of getting caught up in the emotion of the game, <laughs> more so than his players, actually. You know, certainly from listening to Alex Greenwood afterwards, she was a lot more balanced. Well, the thing is as well that they speak right after the game which yeah. I think makes a big difference I think that sort of 20 minutes you get in uh, in men's football for managers to compose themselves like giving the interview straight after the final whistle probably isn't the best idea no and he just went off on one didn't he he was he was caught up in it as well um, saying that the behaviour was wrong there's a certain standard of behaviour Ellen White was on side deal with it their behaviour was wrong he said so yeah I mean look I think he will probably regret saying some of that and I don't know whether there'll be any kind of um, action against him or you know FIFA will have had a word with him about about the sort of harshness mm. of his comments but the um, Cameroon coach has come out afterwards saying um, it was a miscarriage of justice that I don't think we ever stopped ref- yeah, and refused to play what game were you watching yeah I mean I mean in the nicest possible way, he's not going to care because his team are out. So he's going to say whatever he needs to say to unify his team or to try and yeah. bring some favour back home in Cameroon towards That's his team. So, you know. Yeah, it's probably also like a, a, the old trick of just distracting. It's just deflection, yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Like, you know, if we can stop them talking about the horrible elbow and the horrible tackle with me yeah. saying something outrageous. But the elbow as well, I'm not sure that was deliberate either. I thought oh, that, okay. was, okay. that was kind of harsh. Right. I, I think when you're just running her elbows up, it shouldn't be there. But I don't think she's trying to catch her in the face. I think it's just... I think it's just an aggressive style of play. Just they're just trying to get in their get in their way and get in black. And I can see how that's uh, kind of happened. Um, I also thought the goal they had disallowed was extraordinarily like harsh. That it's that tiny line, and again, like it's VAR. I don't think VAR has caused me some um, <laughs> some pain in the last week. We'll get to it. Jason. Yes, we will. But then I think what's what you've seen here is that it's been used very badly, and it's not going with this clear and obvious. Uh, rule we're meant to have it along with and that one there you can see why they're so frustrated having the Ellie White one would say we're convinced was offside and it wasn't and then that there is like the line and I don't think they even saw it on the pitch they didn't know what it was we didn't see it immediately did we until um, after the game we didn't see it properly so we were also questioning that but JJ by the letter of the law I know she was offside I mean whether it's a toe or you know a heel but it's so weird, though, isn't it? It's this constant. Um, it's just another bad decision. So the 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 linesman didn't see the offside. She didn't raise her flag for it. But maybe that's because she maybe thought it was and kept her flag down. So then they went to VAR and they're measuring it by the by the millimetre. Oh, she's a tiny bit offside. <laughs> I must disallow it. And then that happens to them. And Who's that? Sorry, them <laughs> which, which character is this? Haven't you seen a VAR before? <laughs> I think uh, JJ's been speaking to too many angry VAR people. Uh, either that or the people who do look at VAR. They sound interesting. <laughs> they're a unique bunch. <laughs> Let's get back to England. We'll, we'll get back to VAR, I'm sure, uh, later on in this podcast. And indeed, for every football podcast for the rest of time. Um, but the opening goal impressed me for England. The indirect free kick. I thought... It, 
England was sort of solving an unexpected problem in the moment there, which made me think that maybe all this grand talk about the culture and the team spirit, there's a bit of truth to it. Yeah, I think there is truth to it. Um, I don't think 23 players can get on fantastically for like six weeks. That's just, I don't think 23 people can, can (laughs) they? Um, um, But I think there is a genuine togetherness. um, And yeah. I think working together was was demonstrated well by that um, by that goal, and then also just the coolness coolness of Steph Horton, who just who just bombed it through so much that you saw a Cameroon player fall flat on her backside. She just literally went <laughs> boom straight on the floor, and I was like, "Sheesh, that must have had some power to it." But also, just it was just brilliantly clever. She spotted the gap. Number yeah. seven Cameroon player, she was not tight enough. She spotted the gap and she yeah. just shot it I right thought in she there. was going to go high. So when she went low and, and with and with some force, I was like, fair play, Steph. Come on, Steph. A slight <laughs> deflection off the goalkeeper which took it past right, come on. on the wall. Just Still went in, Judy. Just Still to put in. it in there. <laughs> yeah. stop, stop ruining our chips, JJ. <laughs> Do you think there's a bit more to come from this England team than what we've seen already, JJ? Um... I I can't really tell. It's it's really weird. Like there was those little passages of play where they start slow down. I think against Cameroon, it was mostly because they were honestly fed up having to deal with getting snapped every time they had the ball, um, and they had to go and they had to go in full aggressive into every challenge to make sure they didn't lose out on fifty fifties. Uh, the ball was just getting thumped away every time. I think there's good players. There are good players in there. It's poor grammar. Uh, it's a Scottish sense coming through. Uh, there's good players. It's last night of the Eagles coming yes, through. Yes, it, it is. Yeah, there are good players there. I think. The the shape is fine. I don't think there's any particular thing they do hugely well. They just are good players in a solid team. I think there are other teams that look better than them. Hadra, do you think this game, going through that sort of test for England, a, a unique sort of game with challenges that aren't just playing a really good football team, it's a different sort of test for them, is that going to stand England in good stead for what remains of this tournament? I definitely think so. I think I said it last week as well. They've had... They've faced... I wouldn't say, well, yeah, it's been difficult for them, as in it's not been an easy ride. So I think, if anything, they'll come back from the stronger. And yeah, I definitely think so. I don't see, I don't see why not. And I'm actually really quite excited. Sorry, JJ, I'm quite excited to see uh, how far they go. Why would I be? I don't Hadris, know. Can I, I just say, Hadra's properly turned now. Yeah, I know. Since, Look at who since, am I? Glory Hunter, week. Scotland's out. Turned. Here she is. I didn't say they were going to win, did Can I? Look at you now. Yeah, you never know, do you? Well, <laughs> see, this is what happens. Do you think there's going to be more changes for the quarter, Kate, given some of the defensive lapses against Cameroon? I think actually the defensive lapses just need to be worked on in training better. I, I, I don't think it's necessarily a personnel change that's going to resolve it because you're going to have Steph in that centre-back position. You're going to have Lucy Bronze there and you're either going to have Alex Greenwood, maybe Rachel Daly, um, Demi Stokes there. So your players are, are round and about kind of set. Um, I just think we need to watch for those 15 minutes where, you know, and again, it was really hot in that stadium in Valenciennes last night and, and England, it looked hard going for them at times. I think where we've got to be careful of is teams hitting us on the counter because that's because if we're having one of those sleepy periods, it, it, it will just completely shock us. And I think the game against Cameroon, actually, if I was them, I'd just scratch it off. I, I don't think we've necessarily learned anything apart from that we're good under pressure and that we didn't lose our heads. But actually, from a from a footballing perspective, I, I don't see that we've learned that much from the Cameroon game. I think it's all about Norway now. I think we've learned that Nikita Paris is hard as nails. And Steph Horton. I mean, yeah. she... I mean, yeah. They are tough players. And England Jill are... Scott as well was good getting 
the Jill Scott's tastings always and challenges. Been, yeah, 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 yeah. And actually, Jill Scott's targeted, and she's not afraid to give it back as well. Our Jill, I'll tell you, she's uh, yeah, she's feisty. I think it, it is it is for them about tightening it up and focusing against Norway because actually Norway's a team that are ultra organised, and so therefore England, are, uh, you, you know. They can't just rely on their physicality and their speed. That they're going to have to bring a lot more to it. You're listening to the Telegraph Audio Football Club, part of the Telegraph Podcasting Network. To find more of our podcasts, just go to telegraph.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Let's talk about Norway now. They came through on penalties in the end against Australia, but they had a one-player advantage for most of that game. How worried should we be about Norway, Kate? Um, look, Norway have kind of played the same sort of football for years and years, but there's a reason why they've been in and around the final four of a World Cup for uh, quite a long time. They, they haven't in recent years done anything fantastic um, in terms of World Cup records. But what they do is they have this brand of football and they play it really well. And we all know about it, but it doesn't mean that, that they can't um, surprise us um, or we or, or England try and overcomplicate things against Norway. Um, everything comes through Caroline Graham Hansen. She's absolutely key for them. Holofsen, the goal scorer um, against Australia, is also key. Um, and she's, I mean, she scored a zillion and one goal. She's absolutely awesome. Um, uh, you know, England again and and. Uh, and this happened to Australia, you know, Norway are quick. When Norway turn and go, they're quick and it's clinical because it's very organised. They're very good with their set pieces too. And so that's what we need to be aware of. We need to be ultra, ultra organised for this. Bit of a disappointing World Cup for Australia. Hadra, were you expecting to see a bit more from them? I mean, I was reading uh, Richard Parkin today and he was saying that in terms of how they were playing, they were, you could already see from games uh, before, such as when they played Italy, um, they failed to dictate their play. They, you know, the defense wasn't very good. I think there were tells to say that there was the potential that they could have done really well. But I, I don't know. I feel like for me, they they've played well, but not. It, I think it's a shame for them. But I don't think they anything happened in any of their games previously that made me think a hundred percent like they are definitely probably going to get through I thought they played well it was a shame um, that penalty um, oh I've forgotten the name what's Sam name? Kerr Sam Kerr oh what a shame but it was I mean isn't she meant to be like the best player in their team she really spooned it um, she? Yeah, she was, yeah it was not a good goal for Sam Kerr and she'll be very annoyed about that as well because that is not how you um, demonstrate your your world class abilities is it could be seeing her in the WSL next season then um, I mean, this is this is an interesting one, isn't it? Because she splits her career between the NWSL side, Chicago Red Stars, over in the States, obviously, and her hometown um, club of Perth, Glory. So what's being um, put forward here is that she'll obviously play in the NWSL still, but then she'll spend the other half of her year not at Perth and in a WSL side. Now, the reason why she plays for Perth is because it, it means a huge amount to her. It means a huge amount for the side. It keeps domestic football going over in Australia to have her there. She's a huge part of it. So she'll need to speak to the Federation in Australia to find out whether this is possible and if it's something she wants to do. Um, I don't... I, I think... Football means so much to her and being Australian and helping to fight the good fight over in Australia because they've had issues too within their setup. I'm not sure um, that coming to the WSL is enough to persuade her because it would be about money and it would be about profile. And I think that Sam Kerr gets that over in America. Let's move on to the rest of the round of 16 so far and looking ahead a little bit to the quarters as well. The other game on Sunday was France 
seeing off Brazil after extra time. They were impressive again, I thought, France, but Brazil pushed them pretty hard. Was home advantage the difference here, JJ? Is that that the the thing that's elevating France to a new level? Well, teams tend to always do better when they're the home side. I think that must have a huge advantage. I think France are just just legit. They're very, very, very good. Uh, The players look like athletes, uh, but... What I noticed most is that um, their movement's very good and close control is very good and they seem to be able to create chances. Uh, they've got good players all over the pitch. Brazil took, like, pushed them hard in this game and could very well have actually won it. Uh, sort of. Uh, this is the kind of game that you have to... It sounds stupid because you have to win all your games in the World Cup. But this is the kind of game you want to get through if you... You need a bit of luck sometimes to get into the later stages because when you're playing against a team who could beat you and then they don't, it tends to be that that's the one uh, gimme that you get. That makes sense, yes, and to get through to the later stages. But uh, I, I would expect them to... Uh, them and USA are the teams that I've seen that I think are real, real powerhouses in the, in the tournaments far. Yeah, they meet, of course, potentially in the next round after uh, Spain play the USA later on on Monday when we're recording. Can you see anything other than a comfortable win for the USA against Spain? Uh, no, I can't really. Look, you know, Spain hold on to the ball a lot but they're a bit boring and they don't have enough up front their their key attacker Jenny Hermoso was played further back actually for the um final game of um the the final group game for Spain um and she was very quickly brought forward again by the manager because it was just there was there was nothing going on um there's not enough support for Hermoso she's a great player but apart from just passing it around between themselves you know Spain don't really offer a lot they really need to address this issue of going forward and there's all the potential elements you know in terms of hanging on on to the ball there's all the potential elements of being a really good side there they just lack that quality Let's talk about that potential quarter, Hadra. A real plum tie, USA against France. Who do you fancy in that one? France. Decisive. <laughs> <laughs> I really had to think about that for a second. I was thinking, should I go for the US, who probably will win? Or should I go for France, the, you know... They've got the home advantage. The crowd was behind them. That's something I really enjoyed about the match yesterday. That crowd, were in see- that slow clap, whew, that was threatening. Um, I really- stolen from Iceland, though. <laughs> well, appropriated. All chants are stolen, though, aren't they? <laughs> well, exactly. Um, but no, I really, I, I would like to see France test the US. Um, but to be honest, just based on how the US have been playing so far, you know, I, yeah, I think probably they're they're not going to. France, US is definitely going to win. The USA. Um, sorry, so you just said France, but now you think the USA. <laughs> oh, sorry. Win. <laughs> I want no. I poor want message Fra- discipline. No, I here. want France to win. Okay, but I think, think the US will win. win. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think the USA have. They're they could put two 11s out who could both win the tournament. Yeah. Like, the second 11s ridiculous. They've Especially according up- to Ali. Ali Krieger, who thinks they've got the world's best first 11 and second 11. <laughs> Americans. <laughs> um, I after this game last night, um, the France game. Yes, yeah, sorry. After the France Brazil game, I, I really can't see past USA now. France were cancelled out by Brazil for large parts of the game, and actually, um, Brazil aren't all that. They, you know, mm. they have a very old squad. 
Um, and they really took it to France. And I thought France sat back. They didn't create a lot. It was just a really bitty first half. It was a really annoying first half. And it was kind of annoying that it, that it, that it went to extra time as well because France should have... France didn't move up into the gear that they needed to be in until the first goal went in in extra time. And then it was just all one way to them but that's because Brazil were tired they were an old team Cristiane had to come off Formiga was off anyway Marta was was going for it and and fair play to her she you know she had a much better World Cup than I expected JJ <laughs> um, but I I'm now worried about France and that there are suggestions over there that actually they are finding this not physically exhausting but mentally exhausting and I can understand that there's a lot of pressure on them the French you know will not accept anything other than a win in terms of the media coverage, but also what the public expectation. And obviously, because it's a home tournament, there's a lot of demands on those players as well. So I think they really need rest. And this is where the manager, Karine Diakra, must come in and she must protect them. Let's go back to Marta. She was extremely impassioned after this game, telling her teammates to value their position more and to cry in the beginning so you can smile at the end. É querer mais, é treinar mais, é se cuidar mais. É estar pronta para jogar 90 e mais 30 minutos, quantos minutos for. É isso que eu peço para as meninas. Não vai ter uma formiga para sempre, não vai ter uma Marta para sempre, não vai ter uma Cristiane. E o futebol feminino depende de vocês para sobreviver. Então pense nisso, valorize mais. Chore no começo para sorrir no fim. Wise words, but that will be it from her now. Surely, Kate, on the world stage. Never say never with Marta. I mean, I, I'm genuinely surprised that she managed to play the whole game yesterday. How many uh, World Cups has she been in? Five, is it five? Wow. I don't know. I think it's around five. I should have probably uh, written that uh, down It's, a, it's an unfair test. This isn't GCSE Marta. <laughs> Loads. She scored at five different World Cups. Oh. Yes. So I would assume that she's been at five World Cups. Um, yeah, look, she's she's such an important player for them. And, and, and actually, if she doesn't make another World Cup, and she will make the Olympics probably. So there's one to think about. Um, but if she doesn't make the next World Cup, as I don't expect she will, she needs to um, make sure that she um, keeps the message strong in Brazil and either comes into the setup in some way or Brazil find a way of utilising her because she's inspirational. And I hear that from people who've played with her as well. You know, a couple of the um, the WSL um, English players have played with Marta over in Sweden um, and they they just talk about her influence and her power and it's just it's actually made me fangirl her a bit JJ because I just think she, she you know she she is special we stand for Marta here what about Germany JJ they were very convincing in their win over Nigeria are they emerging as one of the favorites now to win this tournament um I haven't seen the Nigeria game this is the only one I haven't seen other than highlights so I don't know, <laughs> but from what I've seen so far, uh, they seem to have grown in the tournament as you sort of expect them to. Again, another team who are solid throughout. They don't do anything particularly. Uh, I don't know what the word is. There's no no clear identity that I see that would make me think they're going to do anything hugely special. But uh, they seem to be good, and Nigeria were a decent team as well. So to put three goals past them shows you that they. Must be quite a tidy team. While I've got you, JJ, we had an email from AFC podcast supporter Lubansa Chama, all the way from Zambia, who says, I think this question goes to JJ. How does the XG calculation for women's football differ from that of men's football? Well, I've tried to, since reading this email, I've tried to find out whether there is any difference between the XG and men's and women's football. And I can't find a definition that says there is. So it should just be that 
it's the same model. There's different models of XG. Opt to have one that uh, we use in the Telegraph, but there's heaps of other models you can build. And the models are based on thousands and thousands and thousands of shots uh, from all different standards of football that you can then produce uh, an accuracy level of, of, of score. So say you're at the penalty spot, you're not always going to score that penalty. So it can't just be a one value. It would be just slightly below that. And it takes into account things like um, I don't think it takes into account who the player is or who the goalkeeper is or what minute of the match it is, but it's to do with specifically where they are on the pitch and how you can score it. And it's used to determine how likely a team should beat another team. So say you've got, say Liverpool are playing Newcastle and it um, ends up being 4-0 to Liverpool, but the XG says it was 2-0 to Newcastle. It could be that your team can't possibly perform at that level uh, forever because you're overperforming an XG. If players like a... In the in Premier League, Harry Kane is always above his XG, which either means that at some point he's going to level out and not score as many goals as he does, or it could mean that he's just a phenomenal freak who mm-hmm. scores above the level that he should do, and that's why he's such a valuable player. Um, but I've not been able to see any XG from the World Cup so far, so I don't know if any players are overperforming, or any teams are performing. I can't find that data. It's not as readily available as I want it to be. Big challenge for you then, JJ, before the next podcast. You've also had to recover from the minor breakdown you suffered last week. Talk us through the hallucinogenic Scotland experience, JJ. <laughs> what happened after you were 3-0 up against Argentina? Uh, Scotland did as Scotland will do. At 3-0 up, I was live blogging this game and I turned to uh, my colleague and said, uh, we'll find a way to lose this. And he went, nah. Oh, JJ, <laughs> no, did you really? Yeah, because I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen that movie so many times. <laughs> as soon as it's been a lap, I'm you like, got, you got a draw. Well, I mean, <laughs> I messaged JJ as soon as it happened, and he just said, I can't. <laughs> Where did you watch it, Hedra? I watched it at home yeah. uh, by myself. Um, oh, no. I, yeah, and that was even worse yeah. because I didn't have anyone to turn around to and be like, ah! Outraged about. So I was ob- messaging JJ whilst he was I was working. super excited for you. I was just like, this is great for Scotland. This is what we've been waiting for. And I was so excited. And even when the first goal went in, I was like, okay, just, you know, that's that's totally fine. Calm down. Everything's cool. And then it just so wasn't cool, was it? It, it fell apart. Um, I don't think Shelley Kerr should get away with this without having some criticism labelled at her because I she, uh, I think she's made a total mess of I don't want to be harsh because I think she's done a great job getting the team there but then I don't want to be patronising either she got the she's got the setup wrong in every single game and in this game here um, it was clear at 3-0 up you make substitutions and you start to either cam it down or you push in a slightly different part of the pitch so either don't let them defend don't don't defend close to your goal or don't defend um, so close to your goal that they're always going to be at you and it's made no difference no made no changes whatsoever to the personnel they waited until I think it was uh, the second goal had gone in before he started making substitutions, made a substitution, and then the referee allowed the free kick to go on straight away. I've never seen that before. Oh, angry JJ! <laughs> I need to turn my headphones down. So how here. does that how does that happen? Why is it always to Scotland? It's, I swear, always the guinea pigs always happens. But anyway, so I think Howard comes on and the free kick comes on and sure enough her first touch is a stupid diving sliding tackle that's like just panicking because you don't want to possibly lose you throw your body in the way and then it, obviously it's a foul and our good friend VAR is there to, to, ca- to, to catch that and I'm still not even sure it's really a foul you can sort of see why it might be but it's not clear and obvious so how do you give that and then the stuff of the, re- the goalkeeper on the line is um, 
can we move on? <laughs> <laughs> what about the time added on? Because that, <gasps> oh, that was the worst bit. That was the worst bit. That was a joke. I was literally screaming at the yeah. television. And they like fell to the floor. They just were absolutely devastated. And the ref was just, it was almost as if she wasn't sure herself. It was out of nowhere. She, she second guessed herself. She was like, oh, well, Mm, and and then all the the team were just crowding around her, and she's like, "Nah, I'm sticking with it." How could she? Where she find that from? Exactly. It was like so the VAR thing, right? So the, the nonsense with this goalkeeper stuff and blah, blah blah blah. So that was about ten, twelve minutes, something like that. eight, eight, ten. I'm exaggerating. We'll say eight minutes, right? So then she blows the whistle. I think at ninety-five minutes. I think yeah. she blows it at. So there should be at least three. Should be at least ten minutes or something like that added on to the end of it. And then she just blows the whistle, and everyone's going, "Oh, what's is there a foul? Is there VAR? Is there a penalty now? Out of nowhere." <laughs> And then she just picks up the ball and everyone goes, that's it. You've just ended the game. Argentina could have won that and maybe gone through. It was one of the most bizarre bits of refereeing. It's one of the worst refereeing displays I've seen was in that, that game. So many things that didn't make any sense whatsoever. Um, however, as much as I want to go nuts at VAR, Scotland threw that away and it was their own fault. And I think Kershaw made the substitutions. The team shouldn't have uh, collapsed like it did. It was so blindingly obvious I think to any fellow Scotland fans that that's exactly what was going to happen as soon as we were thinking up. What a sad story. Let's <laughs> perhaps go a little bit nuts about VAR though before we finish up. It's not been a great tournament for VAR has it Kate? No. Is there is there an easy fix you can see at this point before it's um, scrap before it gets any worse? Well I just think um, that there's uh, definitely issues with how VAR and what role VAR would play um, definitely issues with how that was communicated to teams I don't think teams until they've been in the tournament fully have understood um, what is going to be VAR'd I think even as the watching public, perhaps we didn't get that every single decision is VAR'd. The referee doesn't go to VAR. Everything is VAR'd, okay? Every every single, whether it's, you know, foul, tackle, every single thing that could be contentious is subject to VAR. We just don't always get to hear about it. Of course, it's up to the referee to go to VAR if they're not sure. I, th- I think it's good that the possibility that a uh, goalkeeper could get sent off during a penalty shootout, I think that it's good that that's gone. But it's kind of embarrassing because that 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 happened just before the round of 16, right? So they're already backpedalling on stuff. Yeah. Um, the whole thing about the goalkeepers, JJ, sorry to bring it up, but the goalkeepers should have been you know, tr- this should have been drilled into goalkeepers. You can't just make a rule and then forget about it when you, when you get onto the world stage. And you can't just apply the, well, it's always been a little bit of a grey area before, so it, so it'll carry on being a grey area. Those rules are put in place, so there was no grey areas. And so why weren't a lot of goalkeepers, you know, coached on this beforehand? See, I, I was thinking, sorry, Hadra, I was, oh, so, I, I was thinking this earlier, right? So um, I agree that they should have been coached and told. But I think when you spent your entire life learning this sort of thing, you're not thinking what the line is. You just know that you're on your line and then you yeah. go. And, that, and you, and you and spring. And it's instinctive, yeah. isn't it, to want to jump. But if what you're they're getting two is, yards and that's not right, or yeah. right but then where do you call it? How do yeah. you, oh, it's, well, you just two have to learn to much, jump but. with one foot on or over the line. You can't, yeah. see, you can't see your foot, though. The thing, you're not even looking at the foot. You're looking yeah. no. for tails. So you don't know if your, your foot is just on the line. It's, I think it's very easy for us to say this, just sitting watching it. But I think it's so much more difficult to implement in real time. Like it's so hard. Like in the Scotland game, her her 
foot was marginally on the line. Yeah, she was like, nope. depending on the frame that you exactly. pause it on. Exactly. That's another thing. Yeah. Like the frame rate of the capture in, so it's 24 frames per second. Yeah. So which frame is it the one that they're pulling it, it is for always, the jumping up our line? It is, it is always going to have that subjective angle to it, a bit like we're, we're talking about the elbow on Nikita yeah. Paris or the stamp on Steph. Well, should have been a red card, should have been a red card, perhaps, perhaps. So you're always going to get that flip flip-flop I think it's interesting how we had it at the Men's World Cup last year and we had nothing like this amount of controversy did we? I think the officiating has been poor and it's been detrimental to some of the games I watched in the World Cup now that every time there's a goal and I've been slagging off people who were saying this but every time there's a goal I'm like they're going to check that and they're going to find some reason to go in it and it kills a lot of that buzz yeah. And uh, I have been the all opposite, for The opposite of that, though, is that there's going to be times where you think it's not a goal and then it is. So it's well, sort of bonus buzz. England got their goal that was ruled out. So Ellie White's goal was ruled out for the offside, um, but it was proven to be on. So that's absolutely correct. And I like that that's happening, but there's too many wrong decisions that we've seen in this World Cup. And it feels a lot like the referees are feeling a lot of pressure. I mean, I can't speak for them, obviously, but it feels like they're using it as a crutch almost rather than just going, that's the decision made, and then, oh, it's clear and obvious. That's ob- So I think the clear and obvious bit should be when it's off the ball, like someone's elbowed someone but off the ball, then it's it a red card. It isn't always the referees using it as a crutch. It's often the VAR officials saying to sure. the ref, and it's also awkward because play is allowed to go on, flags are coming up late and everything else, so all that mixed into it's also awful. But yeah. it is the VAR officials often saying to the ref, actually, we've taken another look at that and this is what's happened. So it isn't the ref using it as a crutch, it's the ref knowing that there's going to be a voice in her ear if there's something that's it's almost it's almost like we need to learn how to re-watch the game which I think is a little bit of a worry you've got to wonder about what sort of changes is this going to make and what do we want from our sport but the thing I just don't understand about it is why it's not done with an appeal like why don't you just give each manager like two challenges a half which is the system which seems to work pretty well in most of the other sports it's implemented in because surely you'd run out of um, some people run out of appeals so then what if you're denied not if if you get a successful appeal that's what works well in other sports uh, but the manager is not in the best position to see whether it's been a clear and obvious sure but you can talk to your players can't you yeah but then you've got to have got to have communication from the players so is that just going to end up with with loads more emotions as players like check it check it and the manager's like no it's, it's going to be even more yeah, be, that sounds like way more fun than worrying about whether we've just seen a goal or we've, or we've seen another uh, thing that's going to be checked on a replay at a substandard frame rate let's stick with VAR <laughs> uh, the question we put to our friends on social media was what is the angriest you've been made so far by a VAR decision in any competition, not necessarily just this World Cup. We had a few responses. Ian Reid says, this game, speaking, of course, about Cameroon versus England, the ref saw an absolute red card but refused to give it through fear. Another Dave said, when Tottenham went through against Ajax, that story had a happy ending, though. And Mr. Smith said that game is up there, also referring to England. But personally, it's every decision that's decided by a millimetre. The penalty retakes, the offsides by a mouse's eyelash. What's the point in referee's assistance if it's going to be based on things that the human eye can never see? Get Tesla building robot assistant referees. Lovely stuff from Mr. Smith. Hadra, what's the angriest you've been made by VAR to date? I think I've mentioned it before. I mean, I think the Scotland uh, goalkeeper... What that was horrendous. I just couldn't. Her foot was just. Oh, it was an inch on the line. What, oh, what so was your annoying. reaction? What did you break? I ugh, nothing. I just did Her that. Soul. I was like, <laughs> <soul> was <broken. laughs> yeah, I was so angry. But also, aside from that, I think I've been. Re- I was really angry the first time I ever saw VAR being used between Liverpool and West Brom. It was the first time that VAR had been used between Liverpool and West Brom. Um, 
that was so difficult to watch because nobody knew what was going on. You're just sitting there like, so who's got what? Who, what's what? And then there's no communication. There's no screens, nothing. That made me really angry because I was just so confused. However, now it's a bit more easy. But yeah, definitely the uh, Scotland uh, goal. JJ Paul? Well, I was screaming and swearing in the middle of the Telegraph office the other day during Scotland versus uh, VAR. And uh, <laughs> probably that. Yeah. Let's not uh, let's try and close up that wound now. Kate, what's your answer? Well, I'll give you a throwback to the Men's World Cup last year um, because this, for some reason, just sticks in my mind. It's because it involves Ronaldo. Um, do you remember the, the group game, um, Portugal uh, versus Iran? And he put an elbow into the face of an Iran player. Yes. And it was talked about a lot at the time and it was whether Ronaldo was above the decision to give him a red. So he got a yellow as a, as a result of that. Now... You know, Ronaldo does this to me. He and he, I, 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 it just really annoys me. Sorry, it's it's just a personal thing. Whether it's a wink or an elbow, it's just bang out of order. And I think he should have had a red because it's the way that he looks when he gets away with things that that that, that I don't agree with. And I think VAR should have given that as a red. It should have immediately set its stall out there and said that that kind of behaviour isn't acceptable because yeah there you go angry in VR's defence I would say that the Man City Spurs bit from the Champions League semi-final uh, was outstanding drama like great TV tremendous theatre all those things but it was phenomenal and I don't think VAR should be written off just yet it's really annoying and the application of it has been pretty horrible in the last week Um, aside from Scotland other games as well have been ruined by just weird uh, really pernickety decisions but that one there was great when you had this huge stadium uproar and the goal that was they're going to send City through to the, the final I think it was and then uh, all of a sudden the VAR ruled it out and you, there was this massive weird deflation like someone had popped a balloon and I've never felt that intense high yes. to low we ever. do uh, we still haven't seen yet a, a VAR chant or like a woo we need some <laughs> drama behind it because for those people sitting in the stadium my God, I feel sorry for them because it does. It goes on for ages, right? And it's horrible for us at home, but we can see what's going on. Yeah. We need something in the stadium, whether it's performing people that come out and shake some pom-poms or something, or <laughs> <laughs> whether it's big dramatic music, Champions League-style music coming on. We need something to help these poor people out in the stadiums. Get your suggestions to us about what the VAR theme tune should be. That's your lot for this week. We'll be back with you next Monday. Looking forward to the semi-finals. My name is at Tom Gibbs on Twitter. You can contact me there, of course, as always. Don't forget to send us an email as well. You can get us on afcpodcast at telegraph.co.uk and we'll read out the best of what you send us. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Of course, how could you forget? I remind you every week, Telegraph Audio Football Club is the thing to look for wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Joel Grove on the buttons and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon.